Welcome to the Born and Raised Audio Experience. Presented by Onyx. Thank you guys so much for showing up. We actually didn't think anybody was going to be here. <laughs> we were a little worried about a Wednesday night turnout, so thanks for coming out, guys. Um, pretty excited to be back at a show and seeing familiar faces and new faces. It's, uh, it, it feels a little bit more like some normal life, so uh, appreciate you guys for showing up tonight. So what we've got in store, we're going to do, uh, we're going to do a couple different things tonight. We're going to do a bunch of question and answers. I hope you guys have a bunch of questions for us. But we're going to play some video as well and then kind of key off of that kind of stuff, too, for question and answers as well. So Are we, um, we're starting off with Cody's bull. I believe so. Yeah. Who here is a bow hunter and likes archery elk hunting? All right. So uh, a little quick backstory uh, of what you're going to see tonight. And if you guys have seen on some of the YouTube stuff, it's here in Oregon. Uh, Steve and I drew our once in a lifetime elk tags and we were pretty excited going into it. It's one of those uh, kind of a stressful things of waiting 21 years for a tag. What's this hunt going to be like? And uh, I will say that it was an experience of a lifetime. We're pretty excited about it. And uh, with that, here's uh, my experience of Oregon's big three. So right off the bat, I do want to apologize for the videoing, okay? <laughs> uh, I had some stuff on the screen at times, and then there were some times I was pretty wavy, and it was, it, was, it was an exciting moment, to say the least. So congratulations, Cody. Yeah, thank you, Trent. Um, I did wait 21 years for that moment, and I'm glad you got the shots on film. Just a, a quick backstory. When you hear Trent in that video go, is he, good, is he a good one? I'm not real sure what I said. About 20 seconds after that's when I drew my bow. So it ended up being we were just over two minutes at full draw. And I don't know if you guys have ever experienced that. I was in about pure panic when he raked the tree. I was trying to let down. And then all of a sudden he started walking again. In my mind, I'm going, this is not happening right now. Like I envisioned it to happen a little bit different. So um, it was ended up being, I think, two, uh, two minutes and 14 seconds. I was a full draw. And right before he stepped out, he ended up being 12 yards. I was shaking so bad. And I had to like mentally, you got this. Let's make it happen. And uh, was, it, was, it was touch and go there for a little bit. Uh, the first shot was 12 yards. And the follow-up shot was right at 20, 20. And interesting enough, when he, he kind of like lunged forward when I shot him, I could see the exit hole on that first shot, knew, okay, it was good, arrow passed through, and he was dead on his feet at that moment. And then it's like, shoot him again, you know, and uh, put another one in, and it, it worked out really good. So, yeah, it was, it, was, it was an exciting deal. And, you know, a lot of people – asked going into this hunt, like, do you have expectations of what the score is going to be or anything? And it didn't matter to me. To me, it was like, okay, we got an opportunity with my brothers to be in the field and go have some fun, chase some bulls and whatever I get a good opportunity at, I'm going to shoot. And 
I, like I said in the video, how do you not shoot that at 12 yards? It was, uh, it was, it was pretty awesome. A little, little backstory too. How many bulls had you called into bow range at that point? This, it wasn't like it was your 18th bull at bow range during this hunt. No, it was a, it was the first opportunity. It was the first opportunity that I had to draw my bow back. I, uh, I, I shouldn't say that. First opportunity I had a bull in range uh, on that, and it was the fifth day of the hunt. So, um, yeah, it was it was a pretty amazing experience, no doubt. And especially, I think for us, we've had the good fortune of hunting kind of throughout the country and all the Rockies, um, Oregon, Roosevelt's Rockies, all that. And it was maybe the number two elk hunt I've ever been on. Arizona, Steve, in twenty nineteen was unbelievable yeah I, yeah I would agree and it was at that mode where they would come in just a little ways they wouldn't all come just like running at you like you see the telltale you know run over run over you every elk it's it, it wasn't that way at all and so us not getting frustrated was a big thing it was like man we came so close so many times and sometimes we didn't even see the elk it was they would come in and then they would hang up and we would try to you know maneuver around or try to get better wind or something and then it wouldn't happen and so but it was just one of those times what date was that uh, we killed that bull on September 11th. 11th. So, and we were there pretty early. So it seemed like it was just building up to where it got better and better and better as that, as the hunt went. So I, I don't know. I think that's a good like thing to look at as far as we get. That's a huge question that we get. I've got only two weeks off of work or I've only got one week off of work. Which week do you recommend that I take? And it's, it's really tough. It's year to year. It seems like it's um, maybe even unit to unit rockies i would rather hunt later honestly i'd rather hunt that 11th to the 22nd you know so it's just one of those things where after that if cody wouldn't have killed his bull and steve shot a bull on the same day and we were done at that point it could have even got way way better so i think a lot of it also had to do with weather you know i i I arrived the night before this hunt and we're texting back and forth the entire time it was pretty warm still fairly mild and then that storm came through yeah. After that storm broke. We always talk about like shuffling the deck, right? And weather change is one of those that shuffles the deck of cards, things, they, they get out of that stale, repetitive. And a lot of times, like that first rain in September, those elk have, you know, had nice weather since June. And all of a sudden they're like, hey, let's go chase some cows. You know, I mean, it's just one of those things. And um, it, it definitely was a factor even the day before little backstory it and i don't think we even really showed it as well as what happened the day before on friday the 10th forecast it was supposed to be an inch of rain and we honestly two two factors when we got a camera in our hand filming in the rain's terrible and um elk bugling in the rain typically for us in september is pretty rough so it was like let's sleep in in the morning we'll figure out what's going on well at daylight this bull is screaming from our camp we're on like a main gravel road paved road yeah and uh i'm i'm awake i'm getting up trevor gets up he's like dude that bull is right behind camp like all right let's do this so we go peeling out of camp and i go to cross the road and it's right at daylight and i look up and this cow busts me at 30 yards bull barks the cow barks bull shuts up 
And like five minutes after the hunt start, it was over just like that. And it's like, son of a gun. Well, then next thing you know, we got this other bull bugling on the other side of camp. So we come back, we're walking through camp again. And I'm right almost to the corner of Trent's pickup. And this bull screams like 70 yards away and spots us from camp. And we busted two bulls in the first 10 minutes of daylight that day. And we were going to sleep in like it was like, oh, the rain's going to shut them down. And it was on fire right there. It was it was a pretty incredible experience. And it's like that day, the day before we shot that bull, I think we were on 11 bulls inside 100 yards. Um, it was one of the best day elk hunting. And like we by the weather and everything that was looking, it was going to be one of those days that you don't you know, it's like it's going to pour down rain. It never really did. The weather held off and the bulls were screaming that day. So this is a Q&A. Let's get some, some questions started. After watching that, uh, that hunt, who here has a question about what was, what was going on? Raise a hand. Can you outline a little bit of how you prepare for a hunt where you only get a tag every 21 years? You know, what do you, do you, do you go on a scouting trip early in the summer or do some stuff online or so talk to people that have the tag? Yeah, interesting enough, right? So I knew going into this, what, like, we're hundred percent. We're going to draw. So I didn't have enough bear points to draw. I want, I heard, I've been around the unit, but I'd never been in the unit. So we went over there and Turkey hunted the unit in the spring, just trying to like, just get the lay of the land and how the road systems work. If we go sh find a shed horn or anything like that. It was awesome. I'm sold in, you know, the good thing, we've got a pretty good network of people and they're always sending, Hey, you need to check this area out. Actually BMAC from Hush grew up hunting that unit. So he had waypoints scattered everywhere. Like check this out. Um, come mid July fire seasons cranking the big fire on the grand Ron broke out and they shut the entire unit down any of the forest service ground. And then it was honestly, that's the point where the stress factor kind of rolled in and it's like, Okay, the unit's closed. I talked to the Forest Service. I talked to ODF&W. Like, can I get my tag back if they don't open up? And everyone was kind of hem-hawing and it wasn't getting really a straight answer. And so it didn't open up till we, we planned on going to early August for a scouting trip. Well, we tried June, July. It was, or July was closed. August, finally, right before season, it, it opened up, but we couldn't make it over there to scout. So now I'm flying blind. I mean, and for us too. I feel comfortable with it. Like that's how we normally do it. We'll throw a dart on the map. We'll go there. We'll figure it out during season. And you know, the good thing about elk in September, they make rubs and they bugle. Like you can find where rut and bulls are with some effort. So um, the hardest part for me is I think the outside anticipation of what people think that elk, what I should target as an elk. And I, I think for me, I just kind of blocked it out and be like, I just want to go have fun and chase as many bugles as we can. And that, that was uh, how we rolled into the hunt mentality wise. I think Steve had a little bit different. He had a little more pressure based on his experience from Arizona. But um, I think a big tag, we've never really done it much before. As far as just when you get a big tag, I had a big tag this year and it's definitely more pressure. It, you can make it up to what you want it to be, and, and it's um, one of those things where if you watch Steve's Arizona hunt here just a couple years ago, that was a tough, as far as, like, it got in Steve's head that, you know, this whole thing, he had to kill a giant bull, which he did kill a giant bull, but at the same time, it really, really weighed on him pretty heavy, and it's something we've never 
grown up with. We've always shot the first elk that we've seen. We've always been really opportunistic. And so, yeah, just in the last little while when we've built up all these points over the years to actually burn them on a tag, it's a different feeling. I, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't. It's a different feeling because you've got all these people that are there helping you out. You've got them taking away from their family and taking away from their jobs, you know, to help you. And that's their sole goal. And so, and the flip side to that is, you know, we sacrifice for each other so much that it's just like, they want to be there, you know, and, but it's in your mind that you've got to get this thing done and, you know, not for them, but in a, in a, hopefully a, a good amount of time, whether, you know, it's not this whole 15 days, whole season, whatever. That yeah, no, be. that, I think that was the hardest part is having the pressure. It was like strand rolled in. He had two solid weeks off. Trent's like, I'm here for the season. There was no committal past, you know, I mean, no, no one else had a tag. It was like, they're here for me. And I think that was the, the more of the pressure and just the, you know, trying to flip the switch, the mentality of let's go have fun and enjoy it at all. Um, also kind of piggybacking on your question, as far as like approaching a unit that you haven't ever hunted and you're putting in with 21 years worth of points. Um, I think the key was covering ground. I mean, we didn't, we didn't pot commit to any certain drainage, any certain ridge system. We weren't backpacking in because last thing you want to do on a limited schedule, say you got a week, 10 days, 15 days, is spend four days in a drainage where there, there aren't any hot cows, bulls aren't bugling. So covering ground. Um, by the time I got there, I was fortunate. I, I took my two weeks off. I was there to help out. But when I got there, they had it pretty well dialed. I mean, I literally showed up, and the next day we killed two bulls. So, um, but... We, we never, never pot committed to one area for several days on end. And like Cody said, you're, you're throwing out bugles trying to find a biter. And once you start finding bulls that are bugling, you just don't leave them. I mean, you, you don't leave a, a bugling bull to find a bugling bull, in, in my opinion. Yeah. Next question. Bring it, guys. You mentioned that you didn't get an opportunity to get in there and scout preseason. I don't know if you had cameras or whatever, but on your hunt, I believe you knew about that bull. Your bull. My bull this year? Yeah. No. No idea. Okay. No. Um, but with that, did you have other bulls that you even knew about that you were looking for that got boogered up or you just couldn't find them? Or? Nope. Yeah, we, we honestly didn't have, like, the hit list of we need to go hunt this bull. We had a bull behind one of our camps that was screaming, and we got on that. Um, and that was actually... I don't know if it might have been a little bit bigger than one of the bulls we killed. And it, um, past that, it was literally chasing bugles. So we didn't. And I think for us, that was it's kind of how we roll. Right. It was I had never passed up a bull at this point in my life. And I still have yet to pass up a bull, you know. So um, and I I wasn't in a, in a tag like that. Score never mattered. You know, a lot of people are like, how big is are you holding out for? What are you looking for? didn't matter it um so i think that was kind of the mentality just go find some bulls and chase them um going in with a limited entry like that did any other hunters that had this essentially once in a lifetime tag or any other hunters on the hunt booger any of this yeah yeah we we had a guy where we were actually parked he pulled up we started talking and he went and hunted with us for the night and it was like if we found a bull, like we were gonna 
let him kill it. Like if it was a 400 inch bull, it was his bull. And, but we never had the, uh, never had people coming in on us, never had any issue with spike hunters, especially like on Trent's, Trent's rifle hunt. We thought spike hunters were going to be an issue. They were the blessing of the whole hunt because a lot of those guys had hunted it every single year. They had the lay of the land. They had some, you glass from here, go check out here. And then they'd, Hey, what's your number? I'll call you if we see a good one. And they were helpful on that whole deal. So it was, I think, um, yeah, I think for as far as Oregon and, and what the experience is, it was as good as you could ask for. One thing we, we had done, though, was the e-scouting on Onyx as far as it's such a dry year. Um, we talk about just going out there and trying to find a bullet's bugling, but we're definitely looking in areas that have water, have the right terrain features, benches, timber. We're not looking in, you know, deserts for them, but you're trying to kind of, look at a unit and then find the spots you want to spend your time. Yeah, and, and elk have a recipe, right? They need food, water, cover. Like, and if you, you find those benches, you find North Face fingers, generally speaking, if you go through there and you don't see rubs, it's like they're not going to be there. Rubs are the key. And if, if we're covering country, not seeing rubs and not hearing bulls, we'll move on to that next you know, prospect. But North Face timber and benches – in a creek bottom, somewhere close, pretty well have a good idea you're going to find a bull. Any next question? Brian. So my question is, now that you burned all your points, that we've all, I think, at some point when we get older, we do that. How are you going to strategize moving forward? Get two, three points and target a certain whatever hunt? Or, you know, have you, have you looked that far ahead and started planning? So for me, I just, I'm jumping, I've, I've, I know three people that have drawn a once in a lifetime tag and then the next year they draw a tag. So I'm just planning that I'm going to get another tag next year. Um, but honestly, um, we kind of play the point games in most of the states and, you know, in, in Oregon, I think, well, I mean, in case in point last year, we chased a bull that was bigger than we saw in any unit all over the state and easy, over the counter. Easy, easy, What? You know, I mean, I mean yeah, on. yeah. Thanks, thanks a lot. In archery season, how there about I'll go. preface that? And it was in a in a, a general unit, and so um, now it's a dry unit. So I'll probably put in for that. I mean, having a big tag like we talked about earlier is awesome and everything. But now, if we can go help other people out, that's the cool thing. I mean, uh, if someone that's close to us or whatnot draws a big tag, it'll be kind of fun to go on that. You know. Uh, I'll ask one more question if you'll let me, but and I, I don't mean to give away any spoilers, but knowing that you've saved these points up to this point, I, I would almost gamble that you have some good deer points and pronghorn points. Is that coming up in the future? I've got 21 Oregon elk, uh, pronghorn points, so there may or may not be a hunt in the near future, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, and that's, I'm in the same realm. I, I have 21 antelope and I've got 22 deer points in the state. So, and I think antelope is 600 series, like 15 or 16 points. It's just kind of one of those, it, it hasn't been a priority for us in some of those areas of, uh, what, what we're trying to do, but we'll, we'll definitely have some good opportunities coming up. Strand, you got how many? I, I got 18 for elk. So now it's their turn to come call. 
right? Yeah. Return no. the favor. No, I, on the on the question of of uh, the future after you burn your points, I think a lot of us are kind of anxious to see what happens with the new rules. You know, we're all kind of waiting on on bated breath to see what happens with point creep and um, tag allocations and whatnot. But yeah, I'm I'm excited to see what happens. More questions on this elk or anything else? Um, so what unit did you hunt for your 22 tag and would you rather choose a different unit instead? Um, we won't talk units and, and honestly, like we, we just don't share that info just for other people that are in the hunt and wanting to it. Um, it's kind of the last thing we want to do is have someone that's in the running and then all of a sudden we say a word of, Hey, we were in this area and it mm -hmm. jumps the point. So we just don't talk, that. talk, talk, yeah. uh, specifics on it. Okay, that makes sense. But, uh, I'm asking for our friend. Uh, he has 12 points and um, in deer, I believe. And uh, he's asking you guys if you guys want a party draw or not. <laughs> party draw? <laughs> asking for a friend. Asking for a friend. <laughs> but, yeah, that would put you at six points. So I don't know yeah. where, where and how your friend and I would draw a tag. It depends on how much private land your family owns, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk after the show. Well, we got another video for you guys. Uh, Steve Arino, the same day, and uh, yeah, it was, it was a fun time. Eric was the caller on this one, so give him props on that. No, didn't Strand do a good job calling that bull all the way back after he'd been shot? That was pretty cool. Okay, I got pretty lucky. Um, doesn't show it on video, but I ended up wandering about 100 yards back from where Steve shot. I was trying to sound like a group of cows and calves just walking away from that bull to keep pulling him up the ridge. And uh, after he shot, I didn't know what happened because I didn't see the shot. I heard a whole bunch of commotion. Um, so I'm assuming either that elk blew out or he made a shot. So I just, I just kept calling. And one thing we do is three cow calls. So the shooter, if he blows three cow calls, that means the calling setup's over. I need to come back to the shooter. So I never did hear that three cow calls. And so I just kept going, kept going. And yeah, luckily that bull came, came back and he got another shot into him. So it was pretty, it was pretty wild. It was awesome. We, it was the, the coolest thing about us. We had cell phone service. And so we were dropping in on the bull that we were chasing and we got a, we got a phone call and Steve said, I just shot a bull. And so this whole thing played out as like they didn't know that we were going after bull and we were in a, in a good opportunity. And so that day was pretty memorable, like the 20 year anniversary of nine 11 to have an experience on a tag that we'd waited for so long and then to kill two bulls. It was a really special, special time for sure. Um, I don't know if you guys noticed on that video, the blood trail, right? How long did you guys track that bull on, on our Onyx with the tracking function? It was a half mile. And that blood that was on video, it didn't stop for that entire half mile. By the time I got through the um, the trail following this bull, I was covered in blood. My arrows in my quiver were covered in blood. More questions, guys. We need more questions. We want to get you guys out of here before right back there. Typically, how long do you wait till you start tracking? That's awesome. A, it's a great question. There's a lot of variables on how long. Um, the good thing is we got a camera, right? So we can kind of replay footage, get an understanding of where that arrow and nine times out of 10, it's in a different spot or a different angle for what you, you thought it was in your, in your head. So replaying that footage, 
at the bare minimum, it's like a half hour. Even if you hear it crash, you know, arrow, we saw it hanging out the other side. It was a, it, a bare minimum is a half hour. If there's any question of angle penetration, you're an hour on the first start. If you know that that arrow is back, it's a six to eight hour wait. Like if, if you know you hit that bull back and, and we've had the case, it's like, oh, we smoked him. We watched the footage like, ah, maybe, maybe it's not. And we've pushed it and we nine times out of 10, we've bumped that bull in the first hundred yards of blood trailing that I know if we would have gave him six to eight hours, you know, you wouldn't have done that. So, um, I, I think a good rule of thumbs, like wait an hour, let the, let the emotions come out, the nerves, all that, and then start where you can think on a, on a good level. So, and then, and the other thing that adds into it is weather too. So like heavy rain or something that's going to wash the blood trail out. Sometimes you got to speed things up just so you can stay on that. Or, and then it depends on too, like how many elk were with that herd. So how hard is that going to be to decipher the track versus blood? There's a, there's a lot of different things that go into a kind of a, a, a blood trail. We, we had a bull uh, two years ago in Wyoming that a uh, good friend of mine shot, and you couldn't have placed zero in a, in a better spot. And we were fortunate to watch him run off and actually watch him die, but it took almost an hour and a half um, in, in his bed to die. And I, I'm, I'm telling you, if we would have bumped that bull as big as he was, how many cows he had, all that adrenaline they have going on during the rut, uh, it, there's a good chance we wouldn't have found them. So it's, it's amazing how long those, those elk can take to expire. They're so tough. Yeah. So tough. Bring it. So in that instance, when you were setting up for like a calling scenario, you said you had backed off and every, I get under every situation is different depending on your settings and whatnot. But what would you say your kind of ideal setup would be as a caller being back from the shooter and as a shooter are you trying to have something slightly at your back so you look like a tree or a bush or do you want to have a tiny bit of cover in front of you if you had a horizontal log or something what's your kind of ideal setup if the conditions were perfect i guess yeah that that is a great question so i think the number one factor there is how thick of an area you're in if you're in heavy reprod roosevelt hunting a lot of times that collar is can be as close as 10, 15 yards, 20 yards, and it and it all dictates on like what that when that bull comes into range, he wants to see where that sound is coming from. So if he can see a hundred yards, bare minimum, like you want to, a lot of times you'll be a hundred yards in front of your collar. If he can see 15, 20 yards, 10 yards. Like when that bull comes into where, like it, it's amazing to me is how much they can pinpoint exactly where that sound came from. And when they come into sight, they're going to look right where that last sound was. So you need to be able to shoot that bull right there. Um, As a caller too, like in that scenario, it was some commercially thinned timber. Um, so I tried to get a ways back. I could still see Steve, but I'm trying to sound like cows and calves walking through the timber. So I'm breaking branches. You can't really hear it in the video, but I'm cow and calf calling the entire time um but i'm also moving w to keep the wind good for him so i'm not dropping to where he's gonna all of a sudden come in, in in the wrong spot and then win steve so i'm trying to basically drag him above steve the wind was going left to right so i'm moving up so i'm trying to pull that elk to where it's not going to get down below him and wind him and it worked out i mean i 
it's one of those things where when you're getting the reaction you want, you're getting the response you want, don't change it. You know, he, he was coming. Um, he was not responding very well to bugles. He actually shut up on bugles. So I just, I kept going with cow and calf calls and then just try to drag him up to Steve. And I think that's a good point. Like Eric makes calling elk is not like a stationary fixed deal. It's like, it's a fluid thing. And especially the caller needs, needs to have the cover where he can move when he needs to move. It's like he, all of a sudden the bull's coming in and he's starting to circle downwind. Okay, I'm going to sprint up the hill 40, 50, 60 yards to get upwind and get that bull to turn his route. So when he comes in, he doesn't come in downwind. He's going to come across. And we kind of talk about the arc, right, where a lot of people, and, and we've been stuck in this, like the bull's straight out that way. And so we're like, okay, we're going to set up here. Well, he's going to come in here. Or he's going to come in downwind. Okay, I need to move off of that line of path that he's coming to where you can get a good shot angle and you're you're downwind of him so you got to imagine these these elk they're already coming into a situation that's somewhat foreign to them because they they know the elk that are in the area so now all of a sudden they're relying on that sense of smell and they're not going to come straight on they're going to try and come downwind of you so as as a caller shooter setup you have to work together especially if i'm if i'm in the in the back if i'm calling i'm more or less trying to steer and it's the shooter's responsibility to stay in the right position to shoot that bull when he comes into into that 40 yard range yeah, and then you talk about cover, right? I think the the one mistake everyone's I've heard this story plenty of times. This giant bull came in and I was standing behind the tree and he was between me and the tree at seven yards and I couldn't shoot him. And it, you know, the the natural instinct is to I need to get cover, but it's one of those trust trust your camouflage, get in front of what you're at, and then the other factor is sunshade. Get in the shade. Like get on the you know, if that tree, tree, the sun's over here where this light's at, I'm going to get right here, get next to the tree and get some shade on me because, you know, that sun is really where it picks off. But, you know, and then when you do get set up, like get comfortable, get your feet in place, kick some branches out. So if you need to move and make a step to turn to get a shot, you got branches broke, you know, get in a place where you're comfortable and you can draw your bow, you know, so... Good question. I, th- I think the number one way to learn is you're going to get busted. <laughs> I mean, we can sit up here and talk about it for days, but is it's just going to happen? Isn't it the the rule of sevens? Yeah, rule. Depending on where you're at, some it could be eight at times. <laughs> yeah. It could be eight if you're in Colorado. Call in seven or eight bulls before you're going to get a shot opportunity. Go for it. Bring it. As a shooter, is there any area like you get in a tight quarter? Is there anything that's like, oh, this is too tight where I don't want to try to call a bull into this, you know, 20-yard opening that I have, and you try to position differently, or you, like you guys call it midday madness, you wait and try to get them in a different area? I think it all depends on the bull's temperature, right? Like, if he's fired up and he's coming, and you just kind of have to deal with what the cards have fallen, you got to deal with it. And, I mean, we've we've killed bulls where it's like, the closest shot or the only shot I'm going to get is 10 yards. And if it comes in and it's happened and you kill them and it's exhilarating, um, it just all depends on what, what, what's going on. And it, and if it's one of those, the wind's questionable and it's, it's 9:30 AM, the sun's starting to come out, the wind's starting to change. It's starting to go up. All right, let's just back out of here. Give it two, three hours. That bull's not going anywhere. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll wait to make the move. 
you mentioned mid midday madness kind of like when we normally uh not normally but a, a lot of the times it happens in the middle of the day because they go to a spot the cow the lead cow beds down and he's gonna watch his herd in that situation usually there's actually an opening the bull likes to watch where his cows are at he does not like to be secluded from them in the middle of the day usually and so those spots those little sanctuaries are usually fairly open for a shot too usually i've learned a lot hunting with cody and trent the last couple of years and there's been some times where then that's kind of the coolest thing about about elk hunting is you're always learning i mean when you hunt with different people there's always something you're going to pick up on but watching how they slow play myself there's times i'd be like oh we're just going to try and barge in there and like no let's back out wait an hour hour and a half let them settle down and then make that move and it, it took me a while to, to understand what was going on but the more i saw it it played out in, in in our favor it's like that's that's definitely the right play and it is it, there's a fine line of being like i don't want to screw this up so i'm not going to make a move or push it and or the opposite of it's uh you, you push it and then blow it up right i mean the hardest thing about hunting elk is finding them that hands down if you can if you can find the elk killing them is the easy part and so you know a lot of times it's like i know where a bull is he's bugling let's wait it out and wait for the right conditions we know that the wind's going to change and two it's it is one of those time clock things and it's like okay we got a half hour before we know that that sun's going to be on the face the wind's going to change and we're going to get busted well, let's just wait until the wind is totally changed. The thermals are ripping uphill. We'll make a circle and, uh, you know, then go and make the move. So, Troy, Getting late. Let's do a couple more, guys. So from our personal experience, uh, we're elk hunting out in uh, western Oregon, and all the bulls that we saw were in clear cuts. It's kind of hard to spot and stalk, and they're not talking at the time. So what's the best approach from that? That's actually a really good spot to spot <laughs> as far as just see where they go. So a lot of times if we see them in clear cuts and stuff like that, we, um, we just sit back. Like Cody was just saying, the kind of the slow play deal. They're going to go to a place to bed. So let them do their thing. If it's not a high pressure situation where other hunters have seen them and you got to try to make a play fast, just see where they're going to go and then slip in there, get the wind right, because that, that's, that's where they're going to bed in the middle of the day. We've, yeah, we've had very low success on calling bulls in a clear cut, unless it's big broken terrain. Um, in the case you, you guys watch footage, we saw we had this bull Dale that we nicknamed this year. It was one of the bigger Roosevelts we've been on. That bull lived in just the perfect spot in that clear cut. And if we would have known the country a little bit better, we would have made a different attack. But when we went in on him, he came up and he could see 150 yards, and he's like. You bugled over there and I don't see you. I'm not coming. You come to me, you know, and, and it, we just got hung up and there it was. And if we would have known how that, the, you know, the sound, that bull sounded so far away, they were like, oh, he's in the timber on the backside. And so we started to make the move and slipped up on that clear cut and got busted because he was right over that rim and he was only 150 yards away. He wasn't 500 yards away like we thought. So yeah uh would you guys 
recommend hunting the same unit multiple years in a row and getting to know it really well, or after two or three years of hunting a unit with mixed success, moving on and trying to explore new t- territory with no preconceived notions of where you thought saw elk last year. And then you go in there and there's no elk there, but you waste a bunch of days. So you're like, Oh, last year they were here. I, I have a, a goal in life when I'm 80 years old, I want to look at a map with pins all over the place and I want to go explore and see everything. Um, I think that's one fatal mistake is everyone's like, I had a bull be- scream in here two years ago and they go back and hunt the same meadow and they'll spend seven days of their nine day vacation in that meadow hoping that they experience it. And I think the fear of failure, failure in that point is it's comfortable, right? Like they had a memory, they had expectations. We've gone back to some places where we'd never been before. The first year was amazing. The second year, it was terrible. And, you know, it was like, oh, man. So I'm, I'm all about exploring. I, sp- I, I spend most, most of my time in Oregon, you know, hopping in the eastern Oregon. And there's areas we've killed elk consistently. And actually, last year was a great um, uh, example. I took Cody and Noah to a spot that I was like, hey, we killed a bull there. We killed a bull there. We've been in elk clay spots. Spent a day in there. It was dry. Uh, it's just elk weren't there. Years ago, I would have stayed in there and just kept pushing it. We're going to find them. We're going to find them. We, we just pulled out. Okay, let's go check another spot. Ended up finding biggest bull I've ever seen in my life. And it's one of those things where if we would have stayed in there for a, a week, say most guys take seven days. I could have spent five days in there and gotten frustrated, but instead you move out and go find another area. But it's, it's, it's a good thing to know an area, but it's a bad thing to get hung up on an area. You know, it's, it's fun to know spots. Let's go hit them, but yeah. staying mobile is super important. Cody mentioned preconceived notions too. Like, okay, guys, they were right here last year. And so if we do go in there, it can, I mean, a lot of hunting is emotions, right? And a lot of mo- it's feelings and trying to, you know, work off of that. And we hunt a lot better going into a new area and we hunt so much harder because we're goal is to try to find the elk, right? Rather than like, well, they're not here. They were here. La- there was five bulls bugling right here last year, you know, and then you start that downward spiral of all right well where are they at guys you know it was your idea to come here cody you know what i mean and you can always pull that one yeah and i i think i prime example this 2013 in colorado we stood up on this peak it was the first time there and we saw this mountain way over there it was like man that that's a long ways away and like we're never going to get there and the next afternoon we were standing on top of the thing and it was some of the best elk hunting we ever had because we had the mentality is like, all right, we got to the ridge top and it's like, look around. Okay, let's, let's go over there. And we just never had a stone that we didn't want to, you know, turn over. And it was just like, let's just keep going, keep going. And all of a sudden we found the Mecca. Um, and I think the next year we went in there, we went to that area specifically and the elk weren't there. And it's like, this sucks. You, know? you have so. to remember too that this dovetails into like the style that we hunt, and that is hunting bulls that are bugling. So, if you get stuck in a spot where they're not bugling, like the way that we're hunting them, it's just not going to work. Now, if it's an area that you've scouted all summer and they're not talking, but you know what water holes they're using and whatnot, you know if there's elk in the area, that'll change how you hunt it. But for us, it's if they're not talking, it's on to the next one. Steve did hit that bull in the first shot. The first shot was the best shot, actually. Yeah, yeah. So Steve shot that bull and he hit it right 
through the knuckle of the leg and actually got the biggest thing on the blood trail was that artery right there. And then when it came back in, he hit. Yeah, just, just high. Yeah, just a little high. Um, but the first shot is how you were able to find it. Second shot killed him kind of deal. Yeah. It, it was kind of odd, too. Like, the blood trail itself looked like lung blood, which there might have been some oxygen in the, in the blood, but it was it just bled out. I mean, he died on his feet. He was running for a half mile and then just, just tipped over. Thank you guys so much for coming. Appreciate you. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're just super humbled to get yeah. to experience and hear some of the stories behind the viewers that we don't get to see on YouTube. So. Thanks, brother. All right. Thank you guys so much. Drive safe, guys.